Five. Welcome to another week of the Questioning Commission. My name is Chase. As always, I'm joined by. My name is Onzo It's another good Sunday to be alive if you Joe Biden or Camilla Harris. And yeah, I'm happy to be here, man, again. Yeah. Um, this week we're joined by a guest, somebody that we've studied with, somebody that, you know, that looking to give back to the politics community, um, as he's a very interesting character. So um, I'll <laughs> let my guest introduce himself. Um, I'll, let, I'll let him introduce himself. Uh, hi, hi. Hi, everyone. Can you guys hear me now? Yeah, we can. Yeah, yeah. some teething issues yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Asisi Um I'm an international relations student, master's student in the University of the Western Cape. Um, originally from the Eastern Cape, man. Grew up in Cape Town. And I'm not just an intellectual, I'm, a, I'm an activist, unlike some intellectuals that want to raise views from afar. <laughs> yeah man it's it's good to have you on um yeah you know especially if you look at the, the way the world is working at the moment in south africa abroad um it's good to have these kind of discussions and you know i think it's important to have tolerant discussions you know you and i may not agree on something but we listen to one another and if so i'll i'll learn from you and you'll learn from me and that that's the point it's tolerance you know and i think uh, that tolerant speech isn't really accepted in this day and age that we have going um i also just want to preference that this podcast is our podcast so if i if you want to talk shit we'll talk shit if you want to say we call a spade a spade, you know, and I think that's the beauty of it. Um, so uh, don't get too offended. Um, this is just us. Uh, Quinto, do you have anything to you want to add to that? No, yeah, man, nothing, nothing from me. I think, you know, he's he's well-versed. He's been around the block. He's, you know, he's been offended at plenty of times. So there shouldn't be nothing out of the ordinary. So I think we can just get the ball rolling. Excellent, man. Um, just as like an icebreaker, uh, as a sipo, um, I have a couple of questions for you, right? Straight out the gate, so we can just, you know, get the ball rolling. You walk into, oh. you walk into parliament tomorrow. You're president. What do you do? What's the first things you do to rectify South Africa? Ah. Um, <clears throat> interesting, eh? Um, yeah. Well, well, I think one one of the first things that I would have to do to 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 look at how do you how do I revive the economy of the country? So the, the real the question of economic um, recovery, um, how do I create jobs? You know, after the, the lockdown, during the lockdown, people lost a lot of jobs, businesses closed. Um, so you really want needs to find creative means of, 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 of kickstarting that, that, that economic sector and bring everyone to participate in the economic activities. And of course, um, one topic that I dearly love would always be the, the question of the land, mm. <laughs> nationalization, exploration of land without compensation. It's a means of protection. I mean, it's a means of protection, whether, whether it's farming land, whether it's mines, whether it's for, for recreational purposes, whether, you know, other guys said the other time, we are going to take the land, and even if we don't have anything, if we don't have tools, we will be sleeping on that land. But we just want to make sure that we take the land. So, so that that would be very important. And second, thirdly, something that is close to my heart is the education. Um, how do you develop the education system? Building human capital. Um, 
Human resource is very important for any country. There is no country that is prospering in the world without investing extensively in the human development. And, and it does not start in the institutions of higher learning at all. It starts from the primary level school. It starts from the, from the early phases. Mm. Um, I know you guys might know I was in China um, sometime last year. I, yeah. I observed how they, they, they monitor the primary school level. And that, that creates a, 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 a proper background for a student to grow. When they go to tertiary institutions, they've, they've really been um, developed quite to, to, to survive so that you reduce the number of dropouts in the institutions of higher learning. And that's one aspect. And of course, um, um, the current issue that everyone is speaking about, corruption. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. You know, sometime I was listening to to, to former President Tabambeki explaining that African leaders were invited to go to Beijing. Um, delegation of um, African countries that I won't mention names were there, um, and and some Singapore and, and and some Asian countries. So, if, if a question was raised by by the Central Committee of the Communist Party of China, I said, okay, um, since we're all here, can each and every country present their program of fighting with, with corruption and, and, and a clear framework how do you deal with corruption in respective countries. China presented um, even named a couple of cases that were high profile cases that were dealing with the a Minister of Intelligence that was involved in bribes and corruption. Singapore presented their side. African leaders when they were given an opportunity to speak they never spoke <laughs> because there's no, there's no plan to deal with corruption. <laughs> so I mean, I mean that 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 is a pending matter, and that is a that is where a lot of liberation movement collapse. That is where, mm. um, 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 as African intelligentsia, we should be able to speak out. We have normalized corruption, and 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 it's collapsing our ability to to govern our countries post independence, post colonialism, and not that we, we don't have great leaders, but we really need to find um, means to to tighten up and deal with corruption harshly and send strong messages uh, mm. so that people know that it's a serious offense. And lastly, um, the basic needs of our people. We, we are living in a country that um, has a history of, of apartheid and colonialism and, 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 and the economy and, and everything was structured to, to, to benefit the interest of the minority. And 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 we 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 were in the democratic dispensation now, but nothing much has has been made in terms of transformation the lives the lives of the ordinary South Africans. The economy up until today is is still in the hands of the minority, and 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 we still don't have access to it. And that's I think perhaps what Mamdani called a, a, a it was a stalemate democracy. It was a negotiated democracy. So nothing nothing much was. It was not like a classical revolution where you would fight and take total control. So there were quite a number of, 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 of compromises that had to be made. And if you, the, the, the negotiations, the condescent negotiations, they, they explain the sunset clauses. They tell you that there's a lot of compromise. So if I get into office tomorrow, those will be my five priorities that I said in my mm. term of office. I'll ensure that at least ordinary South Africans got shelter. Those that are unemployed, there is a social welfare, the grants are increased. And 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 and, and that, those are the basic things. I think that those are the things that would come up in my head. And, and I know media would jump and ask questions: How do you deal with corruption? But those are the things that I think 
if I were to get into any office tomorrow, yeah. um, I'm, 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 those would be my priorities. Those no, I mean, you, I, I mean, that's what he's saying. Like, you're not saying rocket science here. It's basic things, you know, and we failed at the basics. We're trying to be... I think a liberation movement, we're trying to be, you know, this, uh, like a home for everybody, but we haven't done the basics, you know, we're running when we haven't even crawled, we haven't put those steps up, you know, and um, I think it's something we need to change. But before we, I, I feel like I, I want to ask you, I wanted to engage with you about <laughs> corruption and shit like that, but let, let's just pump the brakes for a second, man. Um, I, so we did our icebreaker of sorts now, and I, I think... Quinzo and I prepped some um, news points. We won't go too in-depth with them, um, but um, I don't know if you want to jump in after we've made them, because we usually discuss a couple of news points and topics, and then we can just go from there. Uh, Quinzo, do you want to start us off, man? Do you want to tell us some fuckery the other week? Yeah, man. I, I think the best place to start would be the U.S. elections. I think we don't even have to reference any sources when it comes to the elections. I think everyone knows that Biden... Uh, or Sleepy Joe, as Trump calls him, won the election. And that means that, you know, Kamala Harris is VP-elect, the first black woman, first woman from Asia, and all those things that come with her being the first, you know, VP-elect was a female. And I, for me, you know, there's, there's plenty of questions about the elections in the U.S. I know that Trump is challenging, you know, the vote counts and stuff in Michigan and other states as well. But then I think, nonetheless, you we... Let's let's assume that Biden actually does win. It's it's gonna be good, you know, for you know the people of the United States, whatever that may look like. Some say it's gonna be good for Africa because many believe that you know Biden policies would be good for Africa in terms of engagement and cooperation. But for me, the problem is, I was watching Russia Today last night, and the problem is, irrespective of who actually wins the election, half the population will think it was rigged, and that's the problem right there. So as much as Biden may try and want to unite the people, it's going to be difficult when, not, when one half of society believes that the leader in, in place is not the actual leader who actually won the elections. But then nonetheless, I, I think, assuming that Biden actually does win the election, because for now it, like, it's, up, it's up in the sky, I think there's going to be plenty of positives, especially you know, for guys who are 70 who want to be president. There's going to be plenty of positives, but then on a, on a more you know actual notes and factual notes for women, women of color. And I think this speaks to some progression. But then, yeah, these the United States right now, you know, it's a contentious point. You know, you can't really have you know one view or one side of things because there's so much going on on the surface as well and beneath the surface as well. So. But yeah, congratulations to Joe Biden. And as much as I wanted Trump to lose, I accept the defeat. He he lost fair and square, according to the votes. And congrats to Joe and Camilla. And I wish them nothing but the best. And hopefully their policies will, you know, yield some changes for the good. Which brings me to ask one question before I let you guys in. What will the relationship between the US and China look like? You guys can go ahead. Um, if firstly, I think that it was a messy election, right? The, the the whole policies and everything was out, right? I mean, in the run-up to this, like you said, half the population is going to be divided now, right? And I think we can blame the, the, the issue on the media and the PR people of both administrations, both Biden and Trump, right? If they decided to look out for the greater good of the thing, they wouldn't have brought on 
these stories um, of, you know, voter rigging and stuff like that. And they're going to contest that because either way, you, you can't say, for example, the election had gone through as as promised, right? Normal and everything, right? And um, then you could say it was a fair election. But now, even if it was fair, due to them blabbing on Twitter and so forth, everybody's going to think there was some fuckery happening. And I think it was poor uh, management on their side, you know. They didn't really think it, think it through. Because now you're going to have, all, since Biden's in power now, he's going to have pissed off half the population and hasn't even done anything. He hasn't said one reform in place. He hasn't done one executive order because everybody's against him already because they think some fuckery happened behind the scenes. So I feel like Trump and Biden, they played the cards wrong. Um, and I think it was wrong. And you know what? I don't like either candidate. I think... They're both too old. Yeah. I think Camilla should have, if if the Democrats wanted to back her, then they should have put her in place, and then you could have. It would have been more clearer. I mean, this election was it's exact same thing. They chose two wrong candidates, and the exact same thing with Hillary and Trump. It's it's the same thing. You know, you have two people with thousands of skeletons in the closet. I mean, there were so many other candidates that the Democrats could have picked, like Tulsi Gabbard and all of them, not not even just Sanders, Bernie Sanders. Like, there were so many other options, and I don't know why they were dead set on this man, you know? And this, I saw a meme, right? Uh, I, I know we shouldn't quote memes, but I mean, if Biden had all the answers, right, why didn't he, uh, to rectify America, why didn't he bring them up when Obama was president, you know, when he, uh, Biden was his VP, so, I mean, uh, uh, these are the questions that I have, and it's it's crazy, man, and it's going to sound harsh, but, oh, well, fuck it. I don't think <laughs> Biden's going to survive his term. I, I don't think he has a st- stamina for it, to be honest. So, I think Kamala will be president uh, within the next year or two. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Asasipo, do you have any thoughts? And in terms of the whole China debate, actually, I think that... I, I don't think he's going to face uh, fight China, to be honest. I think he's very passive uh, in re- if you compare him to Trump. Um, I think that, that maybe I don't know, but I, I think that he won't be as harsh on China. I think he'll try to uh, build bridges instead of um, keeping them in check, you know. I mean, I don't think he'll tell them, listen, yeah, what are you doing to the Uyghur people is the issue. I don't think he'll stand up to them. Um, yeah. To support you, then. I'm really familiar. <laughs> it's quite interesting, huh? Um, well, of course, I, I'm not a favorite. Um, Trump is not my favorite candidate. And, and, and I think, but I think there's something that we, we should take out of, out of his, his, his behavior, everything. He had a clear program to, to, to prioritize America, mm. right? That irrespective of everything, America comes first. Yeah. I mean, I think Kwanzo would, 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 would explain that. Would you understand it better than some of us? Like, he's, he's, he's a true realist. Mm. Whether... whether whether in, in 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 terms of his tactic, how he does it, and and and, and it's, it's, it could be flawed, but he's a, he's a true realist. But I don't think I don't think the current 
um, politics in the in the in the in the, the require such mentality. Mm. I think the current the current politics require corporations that the preparedness of 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 of, of countries and states to to work together and develop develop themselves. We've seen we've seen it even from the COVID that mm. the countries had to to cooperate and work it, work together to 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 support each other. So I'm, I'm yet to see. Biden's um, foreign policy, how he's going to, to, to his turnaround strategy from what a lot of things that Trump has done. We know that Trump has changed quite a number of decisions that were taken by the, by the, by the Obama administration. So we'd want to see the foreign policy, how the foreign policy will be structured of, of, of the current leadership of, of the U.S. Of course, congratulations to Harris for becoming the first um, female, black female deputy president uh, I'm hoping that we'll we'll have a a female black president in America, and 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 see, so yeah, it's interesting times. It's interesting times. I know I've been picking up in South Africa. People are starting to quote the videos that are shared of Biden uh, back in the apartheid regime. He was being explicit um, I'm, I'm, I'm about the, the 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 apartheid regime, but we have really seen a a, a turning point that um, a a between Democrats and Republicans, that one gets one one chance to lead. Normally, there's a there's a pattern of carrying two terms. They get two terms mm. and they change. Two terms they change, but but now it was one term. It changed. Now one it, it requires us to sit down and think and explain what is it. It's really something that the Americans are seeing that really this man is not taking us forward. So there was a, there was a need. It's not only us. From far, that we're seeing problems with the administration of 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 of, of Trump, but even the Americans began to see, and I'm sure the impact of the COVID-19 impact on them as well. I mean, his 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 position and his posture towards COVID-19 was ridiculous. I mm. mean, and 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 decisions that we taken to protect the lives of the ordinary civilians. So it was really not a matter of. Um, I'm, 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 I'm thinking he was, was a matter of trying to pull a stand to, 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 to develop a, a momentum to the, ele- to the elections. Mm. But really, there, 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 there are quite a number of things that he got, got wrong in his administration, and, and, and including his, his Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting times, but I'm really, I'm really, really looking forward to, to get what the foreign policy is of, yeah. of Biden. Looking on the question of China, eh? question of China, it's going to be interesting. China is a, is a one program. Their program is to develop themselves. So it's really, it's really, it's really going to be a point where we're going to see. Um, hopefully, Biden will be able to take and make America stronger again, so that we are able to see those two hegemonic countries in the in the in the geopolitics, and see how to move forward after. So it's quite interesting times. Quite interesting times. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that, like you said, he, uh, Trump had uh, kind of a couple of mishaps and so forth. But like, I think that there's a place for both realism and uh, collectivism. You know, uh, I so I've been studying a lot of European studies, and it's quite interesting when you look at the European Commission, right? So the Commission encompasses all the European states, and they basically, I don't want to say they signed away their rights, but they make decisions as a collective. And then they still have their own issues that they deal with within themselves, right? In Within their own country. But for example, trade agreements and so forth, 
it's for the greater good of the entire European Commission, right? For example, a big state like Germany can't bully um, the Czech Republic or can't bully bully uh, Malta. You know, they all have an equal say. Yes, some powers may have greater sway over like your foreign policy, but in certain terms, like because um, let me say, inland country should doesn't have a say over more of a say over a coastal country for example if you have the sea by you and you control policy then you um have a greater say at that table and i feel like a combination of the two where we we able to have our own sovereign powers as well as collective and i feel like that idea of the european commission needs to be brought to africa we have an african commission right and we do things that is good for africa uh, i think that's uh something that we we should try to adopt, you know, I know we have these various councils and SADC and so forth and so forth, but we haven't seen th that kind of influence where we do decisions for uh, just for, for us first and then for the, our neighbors around us. And um, now we're relying on China and Kenya sold their uh, ports to China and so forth. You know, there's so much foreign investment in the in Africa. We think that we unite together and, you know, make Africa for Africans, you know, uh, like that's kind of my thoughts on that. But since we're talking about leadership and so forth and one terms and so forth, I'd like to take your guys' attention to Russia. I don't know if you read this, right? So Putin at the moment is pushing forward a bill that would give Putin lifelong immunity from prosecution, right? And uh, law. Uh, so basically, this is a this bill would give Vladimir Putin. Protection from prosecution if and when he decides to leave the office, right? Uh, the Kremlin has denied that he is ill, but there's talk of him uh, slowly leaving office. Uh, Putin is 68, and there's about there's quite a few articles that I saw that says that he uh, wants to leave. That's why he's trying to push this immunity forward so that he won't be charged with any balls. And I thought that that's kind of crazy. I mean, uh, people have been saying he's been uh, sticking around uh, so that he can find a successful um, um, nominee and uh, successor, right? Correct. And at the moment, he's able to stay in power until 2036 uh, due to constitutional reforms that he approved this summer. But... Um, because he's passing this bill, this talk that he just wants to leave and retire now and go back to, he's already built himself a, a compound and um, in by the Dead Sea, and he's already dubbed it uh, Putinville. So um, the man looks set to leave office, which is going to create, it's going to create ripples across Europe. I mean, Who's next? Who do we know from Russia? And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how very China, America um, all deal with this. You know, I, I thought it's fascinating. Yeah. Look, in terms of Putin leaving office, I did see that like as, as I was preparing for, for this evening's episode. But then also saw a contradictory article saying that he's not sick, he's not leaving anytime soon. But irrespective of, of whether he leaves or not. Right. But I think he knows. The fact that he's pushing for this bill means that he knows he's guilty of some crimes. And he does know that if he steps down and if someone else comes in, he might be charged with, you know, corruption, bribery, fraud, and murder. whatever, and whatever, and whatever. Yes, murder, top, top, top of the list. And the thing here is, it's, it's, it's the same thing in Belarus, right? 
Yeah. The president doesn't want to step down because he knows that if he steps down, a revolution might take place immediately as soon as he steps down. And if that revolution takes place, young people will come into power and young people want transparency. They want honesty. They want accountability for actions. So in this case, yeah, Putin knows that like his days are numbered. He's only human. He can't be in power until, you know, Jesus comes back, you know. So he knows that he's going to have to surrender pretty soon. And the thing is, even if he had to leave the country, his options are limited. Where could he possibly go to? See, so he knows that he can't go to the West because in the West, that's where he could possibly lead the same kind of life he's leading right now in Russia, whereby he's an oligarch. You know, he has the best of everything. He can't go to the West because if he goes to the West, they'll definitely extradite him back to Russia. So it's going to be interesting to see how this actually plays out because I have seen that recently in the past couple of years, there have been a number of, I wouldn't really call them uprisings, but protests against against Putin. I know that last month he tried to kill his the guy in the opposition. I forgot his name. He was poisoned via a water bottle. They yeah. picked this up in flights. They had to land in Germany, Russian hospital. He did recover, fortunately. But then it just shows that the fact that he's willing to go to this point of actually poisoning his, poisoning his opponents means that He's losing power and he knows it. And he knows that if he has to step down, it won't look pretty for him. So it's it's quite a lot at play in terms of Russia. But then let's see how it pans out. I think we also need to give uh, Putin credit. He is a clever guy. Like whether you agree with me or not, he is clever. And you can see the writing on the wall. And I think that just because he's proposing this bill, it means that He's looking to get out, you know. He knows that if he stays in the spotlight too long, he's going to get burnt. And, I mean, you see that with all the various dictators around the world. They stay too long. I mean, so you could say that Mugabe stayed too long in power. That's why that was his downfall. I mean, he could have just taken his millions and went to go chill on a beach. And it's that's the problem. The dictators don't know when to just step down and ease aside, you know. It's very egotistical, but I mean, you know, if you had your time in the sun, it's time to just get out, you know, go get some sunscreen, chill under umbrella, because, you know, yeah. the days are numbered. So I definitely think that uh, the signs are on the wall, the writing is on the wall. I mean, I saw an article saying that his uh, official mistress, uh, Putin's official mistress, has um, tried to encourage him to step down because of his health and his age. And, you know, it's quite interesting, right? Putin is, you never, I thought he was younger, but he's 68. You would never say that from looking at the man. The man looks like a specimen, right? And um, it's quite interesting how at 68 he's realizing that he needs to step down. Look at Trump and Biden. They're old as fuck. I I don't know how you, you know, the presidency makes you old. I mean, look at Obama before he stepped into office and look when he stepped out. That man looked like he was 85 when he left office. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it, I don't know why, like, we should lower the age of presidents. Like, let's say 40. You get in office at 40, you know, and then set the cap for 60, 65, because fuck, that is older. Yeah. Let's see, Paul, what do you think? Putin stepping down, is that a possibility? Is it even real? Uh, I, will, I will believe it when it happens, eh? <laughs> it's like what you said. I mean, I mean the 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 issue with detectors is that they don't they don't they don't willingly want to 
to step down. And I'll tell you the reason. There's a, there's a pattern, if you look at Omar Bashir in, in Sudan as well, it, it took a revolution for him to step down. Mugabe, um, one, they do a lot of things in their term of office that will require them to go to prison post a term of office. Mm. So now, most of them, they continue living even if they are old because they know that they might not have protection thereafter. Yeah. Now, I think, I think there's, the worst thing that you can do to yourself as a sitting president is to go to court and commission after your term of office now being prosecuted and having to go to jail. As much as they all say, I remember there was a period where President Zuma was saying, I'm not scared of going to jail. Um, mm. I was in jail for 10 years. I was in other for 10 years. And, and he's, he's, he's playing, he's, playing um, he's running away from the entire process of, of, of the commission and prosecution now. For a person that is saying, um, 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 is, is really scared to, is not scared to go to jail. So it's really, it's really interesting that the man will not make it up until 2036. The bill is just, um, if he's ill now, but this is what is interesting. Uh, you raised something interesting, Chase, about the age that you must have at least a president 40 years um, old. You will, you will never find it in the liberation movement. Remember, <laughs> if you are 40, you are, not, you are not viewed yet as a revolutionary. You are only a revolutionary when you are beginning to be 60 or 65. Because we don't know what you would do. That's what they said. You know, I remember I was sitting in some commission of the SACP. They said, we can't, we can't give young people offices. We don't know what you would do if a 50 billion would be deposited in your account. So you're not yet tested and tried. So really, there is a tradition of wisdom that uh, the older you are, the experience and the wisdom. But they like to understand that these older guys, they're no longer innovative. They don't have the energy. They, mm. don't, have, they don't have the vision. Exactly. It's like, it's like in simple things in the student, in student um, activism. I always tell guys, I said, look, you can't contest to be the president of the institution if you're doing your final year or you're doing your master's. Because mm. your interest is no longer in the institution. Your interest is finding yourself outside the space of the institution. Mm. So you will go mm. there with the wrong mentality. Mm. If, you have mm. a, if you have a really a 70-year-old president, the person is thinking about his retirement. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Hence, the, hence the, the energy, the energy saga that um, um, they wanted to split up to, to sign the, to, to, to this thing of, of, of the energy and, 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 and even if it's a trillion dollar contract as if it's a 5,000 rand contract that you, because the only thing that you are preoccupied with is the fact that you want to come to, to have a solid um, retirement. Mm. Yeah. And, and, they really don't have interest, and in, in the, in, there's a sense of entitlement. Yeah, that we are entitled to lead, and we we fought against white colonial regime. Therefore, we must lead up until and 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 until Jesus comes back if you're a Christian. And, yes. <laughs> and, 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 and in the process, in the process, the liberators then become the oppressors and and the perpetrators mm. of oppression. So exactly. they, they end up doing exactly what was done by the colonial system. You yeah. understand? And what makes it more is that there's nothing that much changed structured. They still adopted the structural infrastructure that was used by the particular regime. So it's a matter yeah. of new manager. So mm. really I don't I don't I don't see 
um, flood me up, stepping down um, willingly. Um, yeah. Um, 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 unless health would, would really put him into a point. And I still think he has a lot to offer in the geopolitics. I, just to end of this, um, I just want to take you guys back. So Putin came into power because he pro- promised the previous president, Yeltsin, um, uh, immunity and he would, uh, protection. So I feel like uh, uh, Putin is holding on until he finds a successor that will offer him the exact same protection. I mean, that's how um, each Russian president has come into power because they've been assured protection from the previous uh, president. Uh, because it, if you know Russian presidents, they're all bad motherfuckers. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think that, that he's holding on for that successor to come along, you know. Um, so over to you, Kunzo. Yeah, 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 man. Interesting topic to, you know, get the get the show going. I I have something that I hope is half as interesting and it's it's quite interesting because especially in the context of having us on the show today, because I know he's very, you know, Pan-African and all those things, especially in the region. I know he's a big fan of Robert Mugabe and all those beautiful things. So this week, right, there's an article by Zell Defensor. And the title reads, Zimbabweans who lost farms asked Pretoria High Court for go-ahead to claim compensation from the SA government. So I'm just going to give naturally a rundown of, you know, the the article. Then we can discuss. Because for me, this is interesting because it's quite rare to see a case whereby people from one nation want to claim compensation from another. I think that just speaks to how much of, yeah, or what we've been taken for as a country, but anyway, nonetheless, here goes. So former Zimbabwean farmers who lost their farms are asking the Gauteng High Courts in Pretoria to give them the go-ahead to claim compensation against the South African government. The farmers intend to cumulatively claim about 2 billion rand from the South African government after then-president Jacob Zuma signed the SIDEC resolution in 2014 that removed its tribunal powers over member states. This came in the wake of Zimbabwe's land disputes and after farmers had turned to the tribunal to be compensated for losing their farms. The then Law Society of South Africa earlier challenged the role of Zuma and the government played in the closure of the tribunal. Some of the commercial farmers were dispossessed of their farms by former Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe, also among those who joined the legal challenge. The High Court at the time ordered that the President had to withdraw his signature to the decisions, the decision that removed the Tribunal's powers. The Constitutional Court subsequently confirmed this order and found that the President's decision to render the Tribunal dysfunctional is unconstitutional, unlawful and irrational. I think that's quite consistent when you look at Zuma. Unconstitutional, unlawful and irrational. But anyway, the farmers turned to the tribunal as they could not turn to their own country for compensation following the expropriation of their land. But Zuma and another SADC leaders signed a protocol in 2014 which stripped the tribunal of its powers. In doing this, the courts had found he, among others, infringed on the rights on the rights of South African citizens to access justice in terms of the Bill of Rights. It limited the jurisdiction of the SADC tribunal to disputes only between member states and no longer between individual citizens and states in the SADC region. I'm just going to say that again because I think that's where the crux of the matter is. It limited the jurisdiction of the SADC tribunal to disputes only between member states and no longer between individual citizens and states in the SADC region. 
The Sadoc Tribunal was established in 2005 to resolve disputes involving Southern African states and their citizens. And then it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. But then the point here is Zuma pulled out. The tribunal was, was ruled dysfunctional. People lost their land. The tribunal could not intervene because this was a matter between the state and the citizens and not a matter between member states in the region. So for me, there's quite a lot at play here because as the court said, it's unconstitutional, unlawful, and irrational. So again, you know, the the troublesome years of Zuma for us wherever we go, you know, now, now it's this, the possibility of losing about plus minus two billion rands, excluding legal fees to fight the matter. And I don't know. So what do you guys think? Do you think there's a case to be made here whereby these people from Zimbabwe can claim solely from South Africa or should the the cost, the two billion rands, be split amongst all African countries? Because remember, to render the tribunal dysfunctional, it wasn't just us pulling us, but it was, a, it was an agreement between all member states to say the tribunal can only work or come into play if it's disputes between member states and not disputes between states and the citizens. So do you guys think we should be the sole bearers of, of, of this brand or should we maybe share this with, you know, our, our neighbors, you know, Zambia, Mozambique, Nigeria and all those things in Tanzania? You guys are up. We played a role, but I don't feel like it's our baby to carry, you know. Um, we can create the infrastructure, perhaps, the judiciary, the commission to investigate this and to settle this matter, right? But I don't think that we should be the uh, payer the um, of this entire process. I mean, everybody played a part in this. The Zimbabwean government needs to step up as well, you know. Um, it's like us asking, for example, Zimbabwe to pay our uh, lost land and so forth. So uh, it's a tricky situation, but I definitely believe that we played a role and we need to maybe set up a commission or a committee to uh, get involved and help uh, facilitate the process, you know, um, speed up the process so that the relevant parties can get um, sorted. But I feel like we... It's a tough time, you know. SEDEC is busy, right? We've got our own shit. We're dealing with corruption. We're dealing with just the unrest within our own country. Mozambique is running out of bullets, fighting ISIS. Everybody's got their own shit, you know. And I think that, yes, I don't want to belittle the problems of these uh, farmers, but um, SEDEC is busy, you know. That, that's the crux of the matter. Um, yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah, I just want to say something here because the government response, our government, the SA government said the, the farmers could not claim because the loss was suffered abroad. So the inability of the Sadiq Tribunal based in Namibia to, to receive here and determine the claims against Zimbabwe had nothing to do with our government. And I think that right there is the perfect response. The tribunal was meant to mitigate the tensions between states and the citizens it wasn't meant or designed to compensate people in cases where their own countries fail. And I think this is where I could probably bring in Asisipo because now it, it speaks to the problem we have as a region. Quiet diplomacy when it comes to Zimbabwe. We've seen Zimbabwe lie blatantly time and again, you know, to its people, to the world. We saw the, the coup take place and, you know, Robert Mugabe was overthrown. 
Mkwanga came into power, he said he's going to make things different, elections and whatnot, but then from where I'm standing, and the view from where I'm standing is quite clear, to be honest, I don't think there's been much change. Am I missing something here, see What do you think? I mean, um, I think I, mean, I think the government gave a perfect, perfect response. Um, I'm really, if we, I think it's one of the problems that I've, 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 I've noticed when it comes to not only the in the region, in the region itself, in terms of Senate, but in terms of the liberation movement themselves, they, 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 they don't call each other into order. Mm, mm. Um, anyone can just push it and, and it's fine. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you know, no, recently now ANC sent a delegation to go to Zimbabwe. Yeah. Because ANC made an analysis that there is a crisis in Zimbabwe. Uh, so it requires an intervention as a sister liberation movement to go and speak with ZANU-PF. He arrived there and they, they, ZANU-PF tell them that, look, there is no crisis here. We just have challenges like any other um, country. They agree. They agree that there is no crisis. <laughs> there is no crisis. There is challenges. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> how do you agree that there is no crisis when you have more than three million Zimbabweans in South Africa? Is that normal? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very so, much. So they really, they really don't get to call each other into order, mm. and you know. Former president was asked from Chabumbega about this quite diplomacy on Zimbabwe. And he said, uh, and became very technical. I said, no, um, diplomacy, diplomacy in itself is quiet. Now, I don't understand what you mean when you say quiet diplomacy. <laughs> 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 and the point I'm trying to make is that they really don't call each other into order. Yeah. There's been dictatorship in Zimbabwe, elections have been rigged, um, serious, serious, serious oppressive system was made to deal with opposition parties, the very same people that are Africans in the country, and that we've been quiet. And and liberation movement, when they are asked, they said, no, um, all countries must be able to sit and resolve their own problems in an African way. Correct. Yeah. But what 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 is that? Are we really able to call each other into order? We don't. Mm. That is why a lot of things are happening in the continent, is because there's no liberation leaders that mm. want to speak out and say, look, President, so and so, you're doing APC and D wrong in your country. Come and account to us. Why is APC and D happening? Why is that? There's no accountability. You understand? And up until they're able to sit and have a clear conversation and hold each other accountable and guide each other, calling each other into order, they will never be able to resolve the challenges that we have in the content. So uh, if if I can step in here, uh, this is the perfect plat platform and tangent. To go into, I'm just going to read the headlines of these three articles that I've lined up, and then I'll get back to you, right? So then I, I want your thoughts and opinion, right? So it's an article out of the Daily Maverick by Bobby Wine. Risking awful democracy. The world needs to uh, pay attention uh, and wake up to what is happening in Uganda. So my recent experience at the hands of the security forces has confirmed what we already knew. We Ugandans are living under an absolute military dictatorship, and the forthcoming presidential elections will not be free and fair. 
On Tuesday, the 3rd of November, I was arrested, beaten, and tortured by police shortly after I registered my candidacy to challenge President Yauri Museveni in the next year's Ugandan election. I was pulled from my car and thrown into a van, and after submitting my nomination papers to election officials in the capital, um, the entire event was captured on television uh, cameras. Uh, ever since airing my opposition to the government of the president, Yauri Museveni, myself and my fellow members of the National Unity Platform have faced constant harassment, restrictions on our movement and intimidation at the hands of security fo uh, forces. Museveni will be running for his sixth term as president in 2021 after amending the constitution twice to allow him to carry on ruling. He has been in power since 1986 and he's, 1986 and he's determined to stay there at any cost, including the lives of his citizens. Then I want to take you guys to Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. So dozens killed in Ethiopian schoolyard massacre. Right groups have said at least 54 people were killed in Sunday's attack, which underscored how relationships between Ethiopia's ethnic groups are fraying. Um, dozens of people were killed in Ethiopia on the weekend. Uh, the authorities have named Oromo Liberation Army, a group that broke off from a once-banned political party, which attacked three villages in the West Willego Zone. They killed the victims after luring them into school compound and then plundered what they could from the three villages and set everything else on fire. The Ethiopian Human Rights Commission and the Independent National Rights Group said in a statement posted that there were up to 60, 60 assailants and they put the death toll at 54, which could, and the number could rise. Then I want to take you to Ivory, Co Ivory Coast. Ivory <laughs> Coast opposition leader arrested after the disputed election. This is an article out of The Guardian. And it goes, Pascal um, Afi Ngesi was charged with creating a rival government after President uh, Alassane Outre won a third term. The Ivorian opposition Ivorian opposition leader and former Prime Minister pa Pascal Afi has been placed under arrest for creating a rival government after President Alassane's election victory. Prosecutors in Ivory Coast are pursuing charges against uh, more than a dozen opposition leaders who boycotted the 31st of October vote in which the Outra Otara won a third term in office and announced that they were creating a transitional council. The standoff has uh, raised has raised uh, fears of protracted instability in the world's top cocoa producer, whose disputed 2010 presidential elections led to a brief civil war. More than 40 people have died in the clashes before and since the last vote. So these are three different countries, Ivory Coast, Ethiopia, and Uganda, right? And this is, you know, besides these articles, I haven't heard any of it being uh, spoken about in our um, newspapers, our elections, and so uh, from our government, you know. And it's once again Africans not calling out other African leaders, you know. We we stuck in this mentality of you know it's their problem, but you know we we how do we help each other if there's so much bullshit, you know? We have to be able to hold each other accountable as African leaders and so forth. I'll open the floor to you guys. What do you guys think? Exactly, man. Exactly. I couldn't have said it better. And the thing is here, the problem is no one is willing to step up, right? Uh, at, at some point, you know, when, when we came out of 
when we came out of apartheid and oppression, you know, we were tainted or touted to be, rather, touted to be, you know, the new leaders of, of the continent, but then it, 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 it never, you know, came to fruition. And for as long as people are serving their own pockets, people are serving their own interests, and this whole thing of, you know, amending constitutions for the hell of it, as we, as we saw in, you know, in, in Ivory Coast and all these things, and, you know, in Uganda as well, it, it makes no sense. Because what gets to me is that most of these countries, right, so when they come out of oppression, when they come out of being, you know, colonized and all these things, the freedom fighters say what will give the people is a democratic system, a system where it's a, a government for the people, by the people, right? And then you see these cases whereby someone wants to be in power for 20 years and 40 years. And as Asisipo said, they don't call each other out. That's a problem right there. And that failure to call each other out is how foreign forces come into play. And you find that, you know, foreign countries and, and, and foreign bodies have more influence and more power on the continent. Just in, in let's, let's take Museveni, Museveni in Uganda, for instance, right? What the hell more does he want, man? He's been in power from the time as probably in his diapers to now. What the hell more does he want? <laughs> you only need so much power. You only need so much money. It makes no sense. And the thing is, they plunder the resources as well. So it's it's quite a lot of things at play, you know, the Ivory Coast to dictatorships as well. But then I think if there's one thing that's worrying beyond the dictatorships, it's the rise of militias in Africa. We've seen this in Mozambique. We've, we've seen this in, in, in Nigeria. And now we're seeing this in Ethiopia. And we also know that there's, you know, there's, a, there's a great presence of militias across the continents as well. So... Yeah, I, I think it's hard times, and the truth is, who said this? Was it Malcolm X, Steve Biko? They said, black man, you're on your own. And if no one is, is, is going to step up and save the continent from the continent, no one will save the continent from the outside. Because the only point is to enrich your own people, to enrich your own country. So we can't wait on China, we can't wait on Germany, we can't wait on the US, we can't wait on anyone to try and save us. If those people come to our continent, they're here merely for the resources. So again, we are on our own, just as the EU is on its own, just as NATO is on its own, just as Asia is on its own, South America, etc., etc. No one is coming to save us. But then, yeah, man, it's 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 one of those things, right? It's one of those things. So just before we move back to Assisi, I want to give some good news. You know, I I like to put a smile on our faces every now and again. I don't think this commission should be all doom and gloom. So, well, we've got to be, we all got, we've got to be doom and gloom after that piece. We're all alone. <laughs> but anyway, last, last, so last week, I remember we spoke about the COVID-19 vaccine and we spoke about access and we spoke about capacity. So this week, I, I think you maybe the people at Aspen, you know, gave, gave our, gave our, 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 our episode a listen. They were like, yeah, these guys are probably onto something because, Last week, Aspen signed an agreement with Johnson & Johnson to produce and supply the country and other parts of Africa as well with a COVID-19 vaccine candidate. It's still under trial, but as it stands, it's probably one of the most promising attempts 
at creating a vaccine for COVID-19. I know that China currently is administering their own vaccine, which has not been tested, but then, you know, that's China for you. I know that Russia has their own vaccine as well that they wanted to sell. It's called Sputnik V, but that's Russia for you. So I, I think as far as, you know, the Western democratic world goes, this is probably our best, our best bet. It's this by Johnson & Johnson and the attempts being made at Oxford University with the vaccine under trial titled or named Oxfam. So I'm just going to give a quick rundown as I naturally would. So South African pharmaceutical company Aspen says that one of its subsidiaries has entered into an agreement with Johnson & Johnson for a COVID-19 vaccine candidate. Aspen Pharmacare has entered into a preliminary agreement with two pharmaceutical companies of Johnson & Johnson for the technical transfer and proposed commercial manufacture of the COVID-19 vaccine candidate AD26 full stop COV2-S. Aspen Pharmacare said it has agreed to provide the necessary capacity required for the manufacture of Johnson & Johnson's COVID-19 vaccine candidate as its existing sterile facility in Port Elizabeth, South Africa, will allow them to do so. The group said it has invested in, in excess of 3 billion rands in the facility containing the high technology equipment and systems that will be used to manufacture the state-of-the-art sterile drugs and vaccines packaged into two vials, ampullas, and pre-filled syringes. So I think, again, as I said last week, we have the capacity, we have the resources, but then sometimes we lack the wall from the top because I think, as we've said, for the past two, three weeks, as far as the private sector goes, the will is there. The willingness is there. The ability to want to make things happen is there. But then the absence is from government. But then this is some good news because this means that, you know, Obviously, for Aspen, they get to make a good profit, a healthy profit for Aspen. But then also for the workers, also for the area as well of Port Elizabeth, and also for the country as well. You know, every every week we say, and we say, this is another opportunity for us to become big brother again. And I think this in itself shows that we have the capacity, we have the infrastructure, and we have the will. And we could easily become, you know, the main supplier of of the vaccine across the continent, especially at least in the SADC region, because maybe the North might rely on, on Europe and Asia, but then in the region, SADC, we could easily become, you know, big brother and the main supplier of the vaccine. But then we probably won't make use of the opportunity as we normally do. But then, yeah, man, just your thoughts and then we can we can keep it moving. And, you know, I, I've been saying we need to step up in big be big brother uh, we talk about it each week you know and i think this is the final like this is the opportunity has been given to us and i hope that we are able to step up and you know just exploit this you know <laughs> like i said so um, i'm excited to see what happens um i think we need to stop playing catch up and i think this is our opportunity to play a couple of moves ahead you know we can play chess now um, yeah yeah, so that that's exciting. Um, like I said, so I feel like I think we should uh, get into our guest now, uh, Asasipo. Uh, yeah. Like I said, we 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 studied together. Um, but yeah, I don't. I want to get steal away from his story. Uh, let the man yeah. speak for himself. You know, 
Um, so, as a Sipo, my man, just tell me how you got into politics, uh, your various roles in activism and so forth. How did it all get started? Because I remember you from first year, uh, Wednesday at, I think, 10 o'clock, Prof Anciano S1 jam-packed stadium. <laughs> um, well, um, I'm coming from a home of political activists. Um, at some stage, I did LLB, and, and, and I realized later that I chose a wrong course. And uh, I was beginning to, to fall in love with, with political science. Um, and I, I took a decision to go um, enroll for political science, as you met me in that venue that you just mentioned. And of course, it was just a matter of, of being an activist and being theoretically sharp and, and always trying to, or oh, fortunately, I've, 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 I've I'm coming from the ranks of the student movement. There's a student formation called South African Student Congress. In short, it's called SASCO. I'm sure you have heard of SASCO. You've seen me wearing t-shirts of SASCO. I've led SASCO yeah. from, from the branch level. I led in the region. I led as a provincial chair. I led up until the National Executive Committee of, of, of the student movement. So that... that made me to, 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 to really fall in love with, with the theory. So what you guys call political thought in university, we call it revolutionary theory in the political formations because it equips you and it makes you to look smart in the meetings of, of, of the student formations. So <laughs> really, and after some time, I realized that, no, man, I'm, I think my interest is, is really changing um, not necessarily be an upfront activist, but um, I'm, 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 I'm think now deeper and contribute to knowledge production and and teach in the institutions and research and and, and have conversations like this, but not necessarily as a as a as a face of a particular organization because that confines your thinking, confines your ideas, that you must look at your ideas from a particular standpoint and. But as just a freelancer and an intellectual, and be able to to see the problems that we are facing in the in the, in the countries, in the region, in the continent, and and see how we best contribute towards that. So, it's I'm, I'm really that kind of a person, and an intellectual with strong activism behind. So I understand both the abstract and yeah. the practical aspect of politics so i've done door to doors gentlemen i've went and listened to all people <laughs> <laughs> i don't read and their tweets and, and facebook comments and make I've, I've done door to doors and and really get what the sense how our people um I'm, I'm, are viewing us so that's just who i am i'm passionate around the and my i'm, I'm a marxist yeah and 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 but um, um, my, my preoccupation is, is, is the politics of the liberation movement post-independence. That's just what uh, excites me. And, and, and that's what I really want to, to contribute meaningfully 
in that space. I, I just have a question, right, relating to something you said earlier on that you were in the student movement. And for me, like, I remember when I got to varsity, I told, I told myself that I'd probably join, you know, some party, you know, for the head of it, Sasco, whatever. But then when I got here, I, I wanted to join Sasco, but I thought to myself, when I, when I looked around, I felt as if these people are more concerned about wasting time and, you know, just sticking around for the hell of it and not actually getting anything done academically. And if you look at some of you know some of the comrades you know in, in Sasco and all these other parties on campus, they they spend more years in undergrad than the normal person would. You know they 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 they're very patient with their modules. You know they do one module here, they do one module there. But my question is is really is there is there a purpose for these organizations at campuses, especially in our context whereby we have because. As you've rightfully said a number of times, we are coming from, you know, an, an oppressed past. And I personally feel like when some people get here, right, they're motivated to actually, you know, hit the ground running, get a degree, walk out, get a job, you know, improve their, their living situations for their families and whatever. But then they get here and then they meet, you know, Sasco, Pasma, EFFSC, and all these other great parties. And then they get caught up in you know jumping around and 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 the, and the politics of of being a student as well i understand you, in some instances you know they do play a role but more as recently i've seen them you know serving largely their own interests and not trying to serve the interests of the students that actually elect these people the same problem we see with african leaders as well so my question to you is is there still a purpose for these people in our in our in our universities if they are not really helping to move us forward. Uh, if I could just jump in before uh, Quinza gets there. And I, I, I like what you said, Quinza. You, you kind of joined and then you, you looked around at the people. I think that was the issue. Like when I left high school, in my matric year, I was head of the student council, a member of the governing body and so forth. So um, actually, I remember orientation. My dad was actually with me because I think you, your parents had to come with you for that orientation thing, the seminar or whatever. And I went to go to the SRC offices. So I was like, how do I get involved? Because I thought, you know, cool, I'd like to join the student uh, council and so forth and to just see what's happening. And then the lady was like, no, you have to join a political party. You have to serve with them first. And you know, then only can you join, if you're elected, can you join to the SRC? And I thought that was a bit bullshit because, you know, yes, politics are important and student movements are important, but student council, the role of the student council is to look after the well-being of a student, regardless of what political party you're from and so forth and so forth. If you're a student, if you have a student card, the student council must look after you. And I, I, I was like, I'm just yeah. trying to look out for the students. And it's quite interesting how political parties have, in I want to say, infected, in particular, UWC. You so may, see so many uh, of these movements at, uh, the, um, at UWC. And, I, yeah, like I just to add on to Quinzo's question, um, what is the role of these political parties on uh, at UWC? Because, like you said, you have to take into context our past, our press past, and so forth and so forth. But I mean, what is their purpose? Because, yet, like Quinzo said, it's a distraction for a student. Because 
I mean, we all know the comrades that study for us. I mean, you just have to look at the various venues. People drop out and then you see them during protests. They're the ones protesting, but when it's academic time, they're the ones chilling, playing dominoes, getting their PhD in pool and so forth in uh, in the cafeteria, you know? So, you know, like, over to you, Zasasiba, what is... What do you think is the a big role of these student movements and so forth at universities, in particular UWC? Um, thank you. Um, I think I think um, Chase, I must quickly first correct what that person that you met at the student center and the SRC office told you that you don't only need to be a, a member; you can contest elections as an independent. Uh, so you could you could you could contest elections and win as an independent. And from part of the collective, so it's really a, a, a democratic process that is followed. Um, that people decide to to contest elections from a, a banner of a particular organization, and because of the vision of, of that particular organization, um, <clears throat> I'm I'm trying to come close to 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 to, to the question asked by by Seth, by Quenzo. Firstly, um, we 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 we. In, in our history, we negate the role that was played by the university students in fighting against the white oppressive system in South Africa. Yeah. And 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 and, and perhaps UWC was known as the historically home, intellectual home of the left. There was, yeah. was a reason. There was a reason to that. And and um. So. There is ma this massive contribution that has been made by students towards fighting the liberation of this country. Yeah. And 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 yes, we got liberated in nineteen ninety four, but we have not yet received what Achimakaja referred to as social social democracy. And there's still commodification of education. Um, we 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 we. we there's still, there's still quite a lot that has not been done. That is why the liberation movement would speak of the second phase of our revolution. That, uh, yes, we got political independence, but we have not yet received economic independence. We're not, we're not much actively in the economy. We don't control much of the land. We don't own means of production. Now, of course, there is a, there is a particular perception um, by ordinary, by people about the student leaders. And I don't blame the people that make those observations and student leaders are ought to take responsibility and to be blamed for, for, for being viewed as PhD students in pool, for being viewed <laughs> as people that, that, that are preoccupied with, 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 with protests. And, 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 even within the structure, SASCO, one of SASCO's pillars is academic excellence. Uh, that at some stage you must be able to chant and pass. Um, 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 and I think some of us are, are, are a true example of, 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 of that, that you can chant and still pass. Yeah. And, and, and let's go then back to the relevancy of, 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 of the student movement. The student activism will forever, will forever be relevant, but it will be the leaders in a particular epoch that will be irrelevant. But the organizations themselves will forever be relevant up until our demands are met. For as long as 
there are issues in the residences that are not addressed. Students are not carrying Wi-Fi. Students are not carrying warm water. Students are not carrying their um, 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 NASFAS allowances. Students are not carrying their transport fees. Students are being oppressed by the bureaucratic system of the institution. Institutions are still using institutional autonomy to protect their own um, dictatorship and, and micromanagement of students. For as long as um, 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 students still face issues, student leaders, student formation will still forever be relevant. But I think the student organizations have a responsibility, Quenzo. And their responsibility to sit and do an honest introspection and reflect and try to understand the nature of the students that they are leading currently in 2020. Yeah. The, the students that they are leading in 2020 are not like the students that was, that was led in 1991 and 1990, who understood clearly who was the enemy. Yeah. <laughs> Today, we still need to find out who is the enemy, because we might have the enemy amongst us in the student organizations. So any yeah. person that is not supporting academic excellence, that person is an enemy of the revolution because a principle is there that we must have academic excellence. And institutions of higher learning are a microcosm of the society. This is what I mean. For us yeah. to be able to gauge and understand the society at large, the institutions then become a very nice space to analyze, to get a glimpse and a sense of how things are outside, right? Now, we really, the student organizations, the student leaders in particular, have a responsibility to say, look, um, what is that? Because Chase will tell you, I entered UWC with my father. I go to um, for my own things that I need. If I need to register, I, don't, I never got assistance from any student leader. I want to register for myself all these years. And I don't stay at rest. I drive at home um, to, to come to campus. Um, really, what, to, what, what is that that I need to join an organization for? If all these things that you are saying you can do, I can do for myself. Then became the question of relevance become important. But I think what is important is that they really need to go and reflect on the kind of people they are leading, the kind and the nature of students that they are leading. What are the challenges that these students are facing? And how do you respond to that? And how do you not become a mimic of student, of leaders in the society of political parties? That we see the same pattern. There is corruption in the, in the government. SRCs as well, there is corruption in the SRCs. So how do we bring, yeah. and if, this is why you pick that. If you look at the electorate in the past couple of years, it has been dropping. You need to ask yourself a question. Do our people really don't have interest in democracy or democratic processes? Or what is that I was doing that is not attractive to our people? So it's really a matter of, of, of really sitting down and reflect and understand the nature of students that you lead now and, and how to respond to your needs and the demand at this particular time. Yeah, sure. like, like you said, Asisipo, you know, um, and it's, it's actually want to ask you about that. Don't you think that these movements are top heavy? Like you said, we need to, the, the, the people are getting less interested and less involved, right? So we've got to answer the question. Isn't the, the leaders that are in power, right? Like you said, we need to acquire, we only acquire wisdom by 65, right? As you said. So is it that these, um, there aren't enough young people that these 65-year-old dinosaurs are boring people, right? 
They, mm. Young people don't want to get involved because the dinosaurs are in power. So why don't we get new lizards, lizards in power, young bloods, and maybe that will re-energize the movement. And I, I just want to go back to, I don't know if you remember this, uh, last year in honors uh, during a security studies module, we, um, we had a guest on, um, can't remember his name, Quinzo, but he spoke about the student movement and, you know, for those, for the listeners that aren't in South Africa, so I'd say from about 2014, we had a Four movement, and it was basically political parties that would uh, that uh, decided to stand up and uh, protest the injustice of high tuition fees, um, uh, the lack of nesfas and support um, uh, from various institutions and so forth, and the pleas weren't held. And this led to massive rioting, protesting across all the universities in South Africa, um, just to give a little context. And then that ultimately led to a violence, burning down of buildings, looting, and what, 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 so forth and so forth, right? So um, going back to the speaker that we had last year, and he was, he, I can't remember his name, I do apologize. His name was Lindogushe, Lindogushe Rosa. Yes, perfectly. And he basically spoke about how the uh, top leaders of these movements went to um, the rector and, vice and his board and they sat down and they addressed the issues, right? And these leaders had uh, promised the people that they get free tuition and so forth and so forth. That, that's what they were um, hoping on, right? And then the rector was very open and he said, this is the fund, this is the problem and so forth. And we can't really give in to your demands because we don't have the power to do that. I mean, we don't have the financial, we need financial backing to um, support, to give free education. You know, your fight is with the wrong person. And when, the, when this um, message was conveyed to the masses, the leaders kind of lost power. And that's why we saw the various rioting, looting and so forth and so forth, right? So my question is, in a sense, is, is there... Did the middle management of these uh, various uh, movements, did they not realize that, you know, you can't ask the university to fund you. You need to go to the government. So why didn't we see more of these marches to parliament and so forth and so forth? I mean, the university can't, you know, they have to pay salaries and wages. Somebody still needs to pay Wi-Fi. So none of this could have happened without the subsidy of the government, you know? So I was wondering, like, um, what are your thoughts on this, you know? Uh, did the student movement lose control of itself? Uh, these various movements lose control. And that's why we saw the anarchy that we did see, you know? I don't know, Quetzal, if you want to add on to that. Yeah, man, it's, it's it, quite a lot happened. And I, I think, like, in terms of my assumption would be that the reason why students from UWC didn't go to parliament just because of proximity. We're quite far from parliaments given, you know, our locale and stuff. But I do remember that students from UCT and the CPUT campuses in town did march to parliament and they're joined by civilians as well. But I, I think it also speaks to the nature and the failure to understand the workings of the system. As as you said, you know, the matter's taken to, you know, university management, but then they're informed that they need to go to government. And and I, I, I think that that, that that gives us the problem twofold, right? The first problem is we as students do not really understand how the system works, right? And the second problem is we don't really have access to government 
right? That's why we chose to go to the university itself. So now they went to the management of the of the school. They are informed to go to government. But then in this case, from where to access the government, you see, that's the question. Who do you go to? Do you go to Nash? Do you go to Bladen Zimande? Do you go to the people who work for him? Who do you go to? Do you go to the provincial distributors of money in, in the province? It's 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 multifold. But then I think in this case, there's there's quite a lot to consider, especially in, in the, pre- the predicament whereby government was, was given the civil option, you know, you know, the option of, you know, the table, the discussion and the words, but then they chose not to make use of that option. And 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 as I usually say, right, in this country, we have a history with violence and the, and we have a history with the success of violence or the threats or the use or the of the use of it. Sorry, because remember when we spoke about clicks and we, we were asking why did the FF resort or does why does the FF usually resort to violent means? And I said, because the use of violence or the threats of, of the use of violence has been proven successful in this country from back during oppression to now we have seen violence or the threats of its use work and that mentality has carried over to the post you know oppressive era to the now quote-unquote democratic dispensation and i think that's why we would see a case of violence being you know the the thing we resort to in, in in a failure to actually have a discussion with government but then I think Gatsipo can tell us more here because I know he has, you know, inner knowledge. He has, he knows the people, you know, firsthand. And let's stop assuming. Let's let's allow the man a chance. Uh, yes, Renzo. Uh, <clears throat> uh, taking me through down memory lane. I was I was one of the comrades that were leading in the Christmas fall. Um, protest uh, the, uh, the provincial chairperson of SASCO at the time. Um, I think this is something that I need to highlight that many people don't know. And ever since I've joined SASCO, SASCO every year had, we always had a match to go to parliament to fight for free education every year. Um, unfortunately, never get uh, much attention from the media and, 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 and other people. But I can assure you that the protest has always been there. We've always go and I don't know how many number of memorandums they have in Parliament that come from the student formations. That come from provincially, nationally. Um, the, the, the importance of beginning to mobilize within institutions, the mass mobilization is, is, is very important in any revolution. So it was important that there must be a mobilization from institutions so that we get those that are sitting there playing dominoes that are attending and make them understand that, look, these are the challenges. Uh, you mobilize and you get numbers. And when you get numbers, you are able to hit hard. And, 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 and there have been quite a number of protests in the different institutions. I know leading institutions when it comes to protests is also uh, for terror, you know, those institutions can protest up until December. TUT. <laughs> TUT, yes. Um, and we've got our quite fair share of protesting in the ZWC. Um, but all those protests, I can tell you that 
There was a period where Wusu protested and they wrote exams in on the 26th of December. That's how hectic was there was a protest right across the year. Mm. But we never managed to capture the much attention of, 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 of the media. But once you begin to see the historically advantaged institutions protesting, you begin to get the particular attention you want. Mm. Mm. Um, so when we managed to bring in the city, we managed to bring in Stalamosh to the protest. We were able to pick up, uh, we started threatening, we started invading. University of Pretoria, we started picking up a number of, 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 of supporters and the media was, was paying more attention to us. It became obvious to a point when police were confronting us at some stage would have white students having a leading as a human shield in front and protecting this black student leaders that were behind because of the particular system that we, we have. So yeah. really the, mass, the, mass, the, the, the question of understanding the system, yes, universities might not be able to do certain things, particularly in this thing of, of, of free education, because they have a particular budget that they will not be able to pay for the fee. It's really a matter of the government. But where do you start? Mass mobilization begins as per institutions. When institutions speaks in one voice, you understand? That is why institutions began to speak in one voice. And there was no increment that year, if you remember. President yeah, yeah. announced that the, the fee increment was going to be 6% and there was a protest and the president said it was level at first. And then it was moved to 6 and then it was moved that it was not going to be a fee increment. So that that actually tells you that it's not like this fee increment was not fought in the boardroom. Let me highlight it to you. The fee increment was fought in the boardroom. But we got defeated in the boardroom. But once we brought mass mobilization, we were able to win the discussion on the fee increment. And that is where many felt that, look, um, this becomes an opportunity for us to fight for free education because we think we have our government by their balls now. Uh, <laughs> that they, they can actually really um, sit in the round table. And and, 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 and and that's why President Zuma at the time, whether it was opportunistic of him, he, raised, he made a commitment of free education. So the, yeah. the, mass, the mass mobilization, Kwanzo, is not necessarily to disregard or not understanding institutional processes, right? But it's a matter of first exhausting all internal remedies. You see, if you have ever been suspended uh, or suspended someone in an organization, fortunately I've been suspended and I've suspended. You first <laughs> need to you first need to exhaust all internal avenues that you can have, so that when you go outside, you said I've done A, B, C, and D. So institutions yeah. really become become the first stop to raise our frustrations. That this is the frustration that we're having. You understand? Go speak with your bosses. Tell them that this is what we're saying. Failure for them to do that. We take the bosoms. You understand? So that role of of, of mass is is, is is important. It has a powerful, powerful um, 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 impact. And then on the question of violence, Fanon once said it. The language that is understood by the settler is violence, and the language that is understood by the native is also violence. So, yeah. um, we've, 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 violence is, is used as a tool on a day to day. We have seen it in the Fields Must Fall, where yeah. soldiers were, were deployed to come and tell us not to, to smoke our cigarettes and drink our alcohol and, and stay in the houses. So, really, um, I'm, 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 
It's something that we really need to do. We really need to be violent in the post-democratic dispensation. Is it not an element of a oligarchy or a dictatorship that yeah. now we must can must be pointed now? Goes back to what I said. Yeah. Structurally, we have inherited a system that was meant to oppress the majority. We just have the new managers running it. And the infrastructure is not meant to cater for the majority. It's still catering for the minority. Yeah. I, I have a question to ask you, right? And I, I like that we are we are actually talking about this and not screaming or shouting at each, at, each, at each other. We're actually discussing and, you know, taking the different views and opinions and be willing to learn and engage. And that's the beauty of this podcast that we sit down, we listen, and we unlike, you know, some of the people who choose to scream across their points. But my question is, my question is, right, we, we, know, that we know the history of this country. You know, no oppression and all those things that have happened, colonization and all those things. And I, f- I fully agree. There's a point to be made when it comes to free education, right? And personally, I think I think the education should only become free once you graduate. That's how I feel about this. So that failure to do so sees you paying back the state because we can't pay for your two years, give you allowances for you to drop out. But that's not my point, though. The, the question here is, right, in light of our context, you know, the government debt is ballooning. We have seen, you know, COVID happened, lockdowns. We have seen our economy tank for three quarters in a row. We have seen a quarter million domestic workers lose their jobs. We have seen the taxpayer base is shrinking recently. We have seen a, a downgrade of the economy to junk status by, by Moody's. We have seen a number of things that are working against our economy. And to say that we want free education is a valid point. But then it's one thing to wish to have a Lamborghini. It's another thing to have the money to buy a Lamborghini. See? So in front of me right now, I have an article from Business Tech, right? And it speaks about how government would normally spend a 10 rand collected from taxes, right? So this is 10 rand we've collected from taxes because you guys are taxpayers, I'm assuming, who don't avoid their taxes. I'll, I'll say this is 5 rand from Chase and 5 rand from Asisipo. So I've got, I'm government, I've got 10 rand in tax. Here's how here's, I want to spend the money. 3 rand goes to welfare and social grants. 3 rand goes to paying the public sector salaries. 1 rand goes to service, servicing debt. And 3 rands goes to service delivery. Now, we recently took a loan of 70 billion rands. We still one more money. And our first case is not looking healthy. We have a number of problems financially. So I understand that governments, you know, back back in the day during oppression, you know, during democracy, Zuma himself so they said the words, free education for all, okay? But now, when you look at the reality on the ground, when, when when we were when we when we start to be honest and as you said reflect, I like that word reflection. When we start to reflect and look within, can we really then afford free education? Given that we have a public sector wage bill that consumes healthy amounts of our budget, one of the highest public sector wage bills in the world. To be honest, so honestly speaking, right? Let's forget the politics. Let's forget everything and for once let's just be honest and say as a country if we want to have a prosperous and sustainable future can we really afford 
free education. The floor is yours. If I can jump in, um, I do believe that education is important. I mean, yeah, that's why we're doing what we're doing, why we follow this path, why we're continuing to study and so forth, and why we're doing our masters, right? That's why yeah. education is important. But like you said, we that's not the reality of the situation. We don't have the funds to do that. That being said, also, I just want to add to it. University isn't for everyone, right? Um, this is uh, perception that everybody needs to go to university. No. P some people are better working with their hands. That's why they can go get apprenticeships. That's why they can go um, to technical universities and technical colleges. But at the set, like, that, that's my issue with the whole free education for you mean it's going to be a holiday for some. And yes, it is a holiday. That's why the dropout rates at university are just so high. I mean, you could even take it to, I'm not even trying to, like, for example, if you look at Stellenbosch, right? I have friends that were, like, past matric, top A's and everything. They all went to Stellenbosch. And the party lifestyle hit them. And they all dropped out in first year. And these were people that got A's in matric and so forth and so forth. Yeah. Right? The real you get you experience real life when you get out of high school and you're away from your parents that's when you experience real life and some people are able to do it and some people aren't right but the thing is not everybody is meant to go to university right mm -hmm. some people should just go straight into the workforce and like oh you know in our perfect uh, scenario they go join the military and it's mm -hmm. conscription right the, 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 that's that's what i think right and I think that for those that are, I don't want to say academically, because you can be academically gifted or you can be hardworking. And there's a place for both, right? Um, yeah. I'm, so I'm saying if you really want to go to university and you show the consistency throughout, then but then you don't have to pay for uh, tuition. But this idea that to, free tuition for everybody is ludicrous because... Like you said, it. I mean, you go to UWC, these people getting their PhDs in pool, club of jazz, dominoes, the, the list goes on. These are, they are people getting their PhDs in these things. And you ask them, I've had friends there, and they're like, no, we're just here to play sport. We're just here to, you know, one day I'll decide to go work. And they, they have no intention of getting their degrees, right? It's a, a breakaway, right? And that's the issue. We, we can't have free education for all if everybody doesn't take it seriously. I mean, you look at European countries that offer free education to their citizens. The citizens use it. And yes, they are. I'm not saying uh, it's the more the exception. But the majority of these people get their degrees and use that degree to go into a profession, right? But I mean, so, yes, some people are going to fuck up. But I mean, they get... It's the, the government offers them free education because they're going to do something with it. They're going to actually study. And I think that there's a mental switch that many of us haven't clicked where we need to go to university to work. It's not a holiday. And some people think it's a holiday. Um, yeah. Asasip, your thoughts? Is free education sustainable enough in South Africa at least? Um, yeah, no, um, we presented a document. Um, I think sometime you guys must must continue with this conversation at some stage. We presented a document on on really how we think that this free education must be funded. A feasible document. Yeah. Um, and I I I I I strongly believe that 
South Africa can be able to fund for education. Yeah. And, 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 and of course, that cannot be made only by the, the state coffers only. Yeah. You would really need to bring in the big businesses on board. And, and, and they really need to take responsibility. Um, of course, when we say free education, it must be free education for those that really are prepared to come and study in the institution. Thank you very and, much. And, 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 and that is why we only said it's primary school till at least grade nine that is compulsory for people to go to school. And from beyond that, yeah, um, it, a person can make a choice. Yeah. Now, and again, when we have, um, um, we need to be able to check in, in the in the need in the sector. What is that we need? If we are speaking on technology now, we are speaking on the on the fourth industrial revolution. Now we must be able to support students to 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 explore in this venture of technology, so that when there is a job opportunity, they are able to get. It's pointless to to do, for example. If the, the job, there's job scarcity, you understand? If you, we can't say people must become, um, they must learn to be cashiers, for example. When we know that fourth industrial revolution is coming to take over, people will not even, people will begin to lose their jobs even in the, in the, in the banks, in the shops. So we must really have an education system that is responsive to the current demand in the market. That is very important. And, yeah. and and of course, not everyone will have to sit and read for long hours like you guys do. You read abnormally. Not everyone will be able to sit <laughs> and read for hours. But other people, they might do better with their hands. Other people might become mechanics. Other people might become engineers. That is why we have the FET colleges. How do you need to find ways of how do you support colleges? So that they're able to produce quality graduates that will be able to meet the demands in the market. You yeah. So it's a really a matter of how do you really structure that and ensure that there's an opportunity for every child to go to school and be funded. And and most important, how do you then come back and contribute to the country? So we must be able to say, uh, you know, for example, in China, in China they fund free education. Students get free education there, all right. And yeah. when they are funded. They are they are taught to be patriotic, so they need to find means of how do they contribute. You understand? When they were building new cities, there was a city that is recently built uh, called Shanghai. They brought Chinese engineers, Chinese companies, all Chinese in the diaspora that were experts at this thing. They were brought to come at home and do this work. That's what we kind the kind of thing that we need. So if we really how do you support our Africans? How do we ensure we, that human capital, that human resource that needs to be developed to meet the demands? So it's pointless to, to find someone that is doing sociology. Um, um, <laughs> um, and and, and the, not to say it's a, it's a, it's a useless cost. No, no, it's not, it's not a useless cost. But I mean, if the demand in the market it needs us to have engineers, bulk of our money must go to support of those engineers. And of course, we yeah. need people to analyze the society. On the other hand, but the priority, the demand in the market becomes important. Yeah, yeah. So, and there's something you mentioned, right, about China and, you know, funding for education and, you know, bringing in people from the diaspora and making sure that, you know, it's it's internal. You build internal sustenance, in a sense. 
And I, I think we can all agree that the reason why China it is where it is now is because of its leadership, the consistency of the leadership, you know, a clear direction. I remember when Xi Jinping came into power, about a thousand people got arrested for corruption. Massive numbers. A thousand people arrested for corruption. Those are massive numbers in any language. And as I say, I think you, you saw this coming from a mile away. It would be a miss not for us to engage you on problems within the ANC, you know, as you know, as as, as a great supporter of the party, someone who who's a staunch supporter to say the least. And we we have seen, you know, the party come, you know, through the ranks, you know, Oliver Tambo, you know, liberation and all those things, you know, flying abroad and 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 gathering support and consensus to overthrow the oppressive system of, of apartheid. And rightly so. But then as as Christian was once concerned that the problem with the liberation is that the people who liberate end up wanting to drive the Mercedes Benz. Well, in this case, they drive the Bentley, the Ferrari, the fucking private jet. So, <laughs> so, so we have seen a lot of things, you know, and I, I, we we know that, you know, during the, during apartheid there was corruption. No, no lies about that. All, we all know of good and well. For instance, we know that towards the end of apartheid, most golf courses were locked into leases of ninety nine years, where the rent is like a thousand rand for a year for prime land. That in itself is corruption. If you don't think that's corruption, you need to see a specialist. And we we know we've we've seen this pattern of corruption, you know, pick up post you know post oppression. But I I think for us, the focus would now have to be on post or or, dem, or democratic oppression, because I know that Tulima Donzella tried to go after ABSA regarding the money they got during apartheid. It didn't work out. Blah 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 blah. And honestly speaking, it would be hard to prosecute most of the the crimes that happened during apartheid. But Luckily, in this democratic dispensation, you know, we have human rights, we have a justice system that actually works, despite the lack of funding and all those things. So my question to your CC Paras, I'm just going to ask this broadly, because if I had to go into the ANC and ask, you know, about Dudumieni, Jacob Zuma, the Guptas, Sabonpeg and the scandals, cucumbers and carrots, go to Mandela... Don't forget ACE, don't forget, you know, there's a lot of problems within the NC. But my problem too is going to be, my question rather is going to be broad in saying that I think we can, I think even you yourself as a supporter can agree that the NC is in crisis. And by and large, the country is in crisis with the NC. So my question, the first question would be, can the NC be saved? If so, how? I'd like your thoughts on this, please. I can see you giving some thought, but then I need a response because we, we're in crisis and it's because of our leadership. If the NC is in crisis, the country is in crisis. The NC is like only a fool can't see if the NC is in crisis. We're in crisis. Our leadership is in, is in tatters to say the least. Can the NC be saved? Yes or no? If yes, then how? If no, why? Talk to me, sir. Um, <laughs> I, I, when I when I was invited here, yeah, I knew at some stage I'm going to, to put in position. Uh, but as the conversation was 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 continuing, I thought I well, I'm I'm off the hook, and, and uh, I was wrong. 
Um, well, um, it's quite a good question. Um, I try by all means when I engage not to come with a cap of an ANC person, but as an intellectual. I think in this platform, I pride myself more of being an intellectual than being associated with any political formation. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm precisely going to give an answer from, from that standpoint. Because if I can give you an answer from a, a member of the ANC standpoint, I might be very biased. Yeah, and, and, and I don't think I want I, I want that. I don't think our viewership would want that. I don't think you guys would want that. Well, um, I'm happy you've raised that majority of the problems that the ANC is facing today are not new. It's old problems I faced in exile. Um, I'm 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 a very book. Guys should get a copy of this book. It's, um, the fall of the ANC. Yeah. It's not a it's not so but there are fundamental things that you raise it about the trace of the corruption. That it's nothing new like Chris. If Chris was able to raise it as early as before nineteen ninety-three, it means that it's something that has been in existence even in the years of exile. Right? Exactly. Um, exactly. Um, 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 a number of comrades, high profile comrades were even driving machine defenses at the time. Um, <laughs> so what the point I'm trying to bring across everything that has happened, it has been messed up by our own hands as the leaders of the liberation movements. Right? Yeah. So the very same people that can be able to correct these things, it's 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 them. You know, um there's a I want to make it soon. There was a question asked by a, 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 a professor to his students in some in some village that I will not mention. <laughs> the students, the students asked the question to the professor, and they, they, because the professor always gave them answers for everything that they asked. And one time they catched, a, they took a, a butterfly and put the butterfly in the hand like this, and they asked professor, professor, what is in the hand? And without noticing that the. The, the professor could see that it's a butterfly between their fingers. He said, you are holding a butterfly, and he said, yeah, he got it right. <laughs> and then they said, okay, the second question, professor, is, is this butterfly dead or alive? So they knew that the catch is here. <laughs> yeah. Had he said the butterfly was alive, they were going to use a finger to press it and kill it and open their hand. They said, you see, you're wrong, the butterfly is dead. Yeah. Had he said the butterfly is dead, they were just going to open the hands and allow the butterfly to fly. Yeah. Uh, so for them, there was no other answer that the professor was going to do. He was going to be wrong. But yeah. he said, um, said something profound that the life and the death of that butterfly depends on the hands of the person that is holding the butterfly. So whether that uh, butterfly will come out uh, dead from that is really on your hands. So yeah, it's really in the hands of the ANC membership. It's really in the hands of the ANC leadership to really make a determination whether they want to come on and save the ANC or not. Yeah. Let me pause there for now. Here's my question, Auntie Rose. You know, you've spoken about how the ANC can fix itself, and uh, I like how you put that uh, analogy of the butterfly and so forth. 
but how can they fix it, fix themselves with the rising factionalism within the ANC as well as mm. the more publicly raised scandals? You know, I mean, Ace Magashulu questions um, Cyril all the time. You have um, everybody talking about Zuma playing the strings there um, during lockdown. So how can the ANC fix itself and save face with the public? Um, and everybody, when they know that, when they question if Cyril is actually running the show, um, you know? That Nancy is, is, is moving towards the right direction. There's quite a number of arrests that are happening in the country if we have checked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, yeah, corruption, yeah. for corruption, not only for, not only for the COVID-19, but even for years back. Yeah. Ace is also brought to come for the 1990. 2014 beginning to see people can account for such behaviors. So ANC must intend to add process. Clean the house before. So once the house is properly clean, you can then begin speaking about other things. And I can tell you now, um, when this process of corruption is, is close to conclusion, quite a number of people will be arrested. Quite a number of people that are in scandals currently will be arrested. That might present an ANC with an opportunity to get a new crop of fingers and leaders to take the organization to another level. So yeah. the first thing is to deal with this crisis. After you have dealt with this crisis, you have sent a strong message to those who are, that are still backing the movement and say, look, if you do this, is what's going to happen. So then let's then move forward. We move forward understanding that nobody is going to steal in Konaz because they know the implications of stealing. But that, this, therein lies my problem, right? Or my main gripe. We see, even if people have been um, prosecuted for corruption, we see membership of the ANC, high membership of the ANC, actually defend them. I mean, uh, if you look at that McKenzie interview where she defended her actions of actually walking a comrade into prison and so forth. Mbueni, Tito Mbueni in the week, defended his friend that got alleged for corruption in the week. You know, you see Dudu Meni um, actually named the whistleblower. You know, the prosecution yeah. The prosecution said, uh, this, uh, at the Zonda Commission, uh, Dudu Meni actually revealed the witness's um, alias, the name. And you're not allowed to do that. If somebody speaks to you in court under protection and anonymity, then you need to put, uh, you can't say his name. And she basically violated the entire Zonda Commission. And now she's coming out and saying that she didn't mean to and so forth and so forth. Whether you meant to or not, you, you kind of basically stop other whistleblowers, other people from speaking out. Because yeah. if, this, if, if, you, if you can't get protection in the court to speak out about these uh, corruption cases, then... You know, nobody's going to come forth and we weren't able to, we weren't able to clean house, like you said, you know, and that's the problem that I yeah. have. 
You see, there's a there's a there's a there's a presumption that you are not killed. You are fine until the qualifying of twenty two on reasonable doubts. Right? Nonsense. That's a, that that is a not that it's illegal. It's a presumption of there's presumption of innocence. Yeah. In in in, in our court systems, that's what the court says. That's what the law says. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um. Well, what freedom of speech? So people are utilizing that to defend their leaders. I don't think we should let that be our distraction, <laughs> right? And, and and I think the majority of South Africans, all political parties, they still see our judicial system as credible, as a credible arm of the of of, 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 of of the state. Now, for as long as we are able to see, to believe that our judicial is a, is a credible arm of the state, we should allow the judicial to take its process, right? These are these are other um, politics, if you will, to pull it that we we are we are we are, we are being patched by the current leadership, the use of of state um, 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 apparatus to fight political battles to settle political scores. No bullshit, never. Um, yes, in some cases there are people that are being patched. The court is yet to prove whether you are patched or not, depending on when you have to account and present your own answer. Like, you know, this is my side of the story. And we've seen leaders being um, 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 punished. We've seen leaders being um, um, let go freely because they are not really, they are not guilty of anything. So we're still finding our courts credible. I think yeah. we should allow our courts to be credible. Everyone that is called to come and account in the Zondo Commission, if they could knock at my door now, I should not give them problems. I should ask them, when do you want me to come? We all need to cooperate at the moment so that we're able to, the better you you cooperate on time, you clear on me. If you want some nothing to have, there's no need to have masses protesting and making noise. You go, present your story, you're not found guilty, you move. Up until we're saying our courts are not credible, we can have another discussion. But at the moment, we're all agreeing in general that our courts are, are, are very credible and they are following the law and, and we're quite happy. Even opposition is not having problems with the court. Everyone is just happy with the court. And let's allow the judicial process to take this process further. So everyone must, and let all these other noise makers, they are just distractions <laughs> in the main. They are not, they are not, they are not affecting the price of eggs. We should yeah. just let them make noise, but people should be called to come and account for what they've done yeah. in a proper channel. And if they are found guilty, they should take responsibility. That will become the cleaning process. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you on that one because I, I, I think by and large, Zondra has done a good job in terms of bringing, you know, to the surface all these problems of corruption that had took place at ESCOM, Denal, Transnet, tragic, tragic stuff. I remember the other week, the former employee at a former employee at Transnet was crying. Danal, sorry, was crying when she spoke about the corruption that took place when a Gupta-linked company, Vera Laser, was awarded a tender of about six fourteen million rand. She was in tears because it was that sad that she actually said, "This doesn't make sense. Let's not do this deal." But then, you know, those years were those years, and they're long gone now. And it's quite interesting that you speak about cooperation because. We are seeing Zuma being blatantly defiant of the commission in public. He has publicly said a number of times he's not going there again because of the reasons he's put forth. And I think for me, on top of its that, right, Zuma refusing to go to the commission, publicly stating to, you know, that he's not going. And then we have the problem Chase spoke of, of Dudumieni mentioning the, the whistleblower. 
I think maybe it's a conspiracy theory. I, I've been doing a lot of those from since Biden won. But then I, I think they're trying to undermine the commission. They are trying to take away the credibility of the commission because I know, I think three weeks ago, I'm not quite sure of the date, Ramaphosa approved the Special Investigations Units and the NPA being able to use evidence from the commission in court hearings and court cases because initially that wasn't the case. But then now, whatever said at the commission can be used in courts by the NPA and the SIU. And that's why this past week we saw Dudumieni refusing to answer a number of questions because she didn't want to incriminate herself and all those things. All she wanted to do was to put the whistleblower in harm's way. But that, that's 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 not my question, right? My question is, and it, 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 I think we can draw maybe context from the U.S. for to maybe put this question and to better imagine. The context of this question right we in the us we saw you know an uprise of people who are just tired of the administration that had enough they decided to do something which was to a protest and b to vote right so let's take the same kind of imagination right by and large people are tired of, i've heard stories from white people i've heard stories from black people colored people indian people about a whole range of things you know people are tired of corruption poor service delivery, a lack of schools. For instance, yesterday I read this article by a school in the Eastern Cape that has been performing well for over five years. They don't have a building, they're still using a tent, and it's exam time for the metrics. Honestly speaking, the kids are, God damn it, they're performing. What more do you want from the kids? They're performing. But anyway, corruption, service delivery, infrastructure, education, there's a number of problems that people are not happy about, right? And as I said, in America, they did two things. One was to protest, and B was the ballot. In South Africa, we have seen, you know, they call it protest season, when, when it's when it's this time of the year where people, you know, they protest for wages, they protest for service delivery and whatnot. We call it protest season. But then the point of imagination that I'm invoking here is, and it goes for all of us, really, to be honest, I, something I, I, I've thought of, but never brought myself to really accept the reality that could possibly happen. Now, I know I've beaten around the bush, and I've created suspense and all those things I can tell with the look on your faces. But the question is, yeah, can can we have a South Africa not governed by the ANC? Is that a possibility? To one day, when we vote again in 2024, next thing we know, everybody votes for Party X or Party Y or Party C or Party 2. I know that, by and large, it, it's it's not a possibility at the next elections, or probably the I'll say probably the next five elections not a possibility. But then, as time goes by, as more people are exposed to the problems and the history of corruption within the ANC, within the state and its apparatus, what what would a country free of the ANC, not necessarily free, but then a country not governed by the ANC look like? As I see, if I know this for you, it's probably like, what the hell is he saying? But then, do you think the ANC could easily lose grip of power anytime soon? And if so, what would that look like? Um, the political party of Mahatma Gandhi in India is no longer in charge. It has few seats in parliament. Yeah. Um, the party of the great Guam Nkrumah in Ghana 
um, is no longer in charge in Ghana. Mm -hmm. um, the point I'm trying to bring, there are, new, there are many possibilities. Yeah. Um, ANC might lose elections. We've yeah. seen it losing in the metros, we've seen it losing in different municipalities. Um, so, the possibility is there. But I think the, the, what is the challenge? I don't think there is a strong um, political opposition in South Africa. I don't see For now. PFF and TA now as, 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 as political oppositions. They're not there. They're not, they're not yeah. even giving the ANC the tough time that it was given by the MTC, that was given to ZANU-PF by the MTC. So, yeah. um, of course, there comes a time where the beauty of democracy, the people must make a decision on who, the self-determination, who they would want them to govern, who they would want them to be their leaders. And if it gets to a point that the South Africans say we don't want the ANC to govern, um, then the will of the people should should prevail because I think that's what the ANC fights for, that, that democratic process must be followed. And I think that's what has kept the ANC surviving for more than 100 years. It is its ability within the party to allow democratic processes to unfold. Whether yeah. to a certain extent it gets to be manipulated there, there. But <laughs> um, 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 I think the times it becomes the time where South Africans would say, we think your time is up. And yeah. at some stage, at some stage, EFF was beginning to people were excited about EFF, but if you go around now, they yeah. don't necessarily they 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 know they they, they get the the picture of what EFF is to them. So it yeah. might not be necessarily the the, the second um, 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 liberation movement. Uh, yeah, that yeah, yeah. few years back we thought it would be to take over and liberate people from the, yeah. the second liberation. You see? So really, it if the ANC is not doing what it needs to do, and they know that they, are, they know exactly what they need to do. The members of the ANC, they need to know exactly what they, need to, they have to do. And if we don't do that, we might fall down like all other great liberation movements. That are no yeah. longer in power, and 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 and, and it will be normal. Left will go on. Yeah. If, if I can jump in, on it, I like what Josip uh, was saying. I think that's. I think the ANC is resting on their love. They continue to be through the the many other parties that you mentioned, and there's also something that I want to speak about since we like it's a phenomenon that I've seen more happening more and more around the world. I mean, it's the polarization of race. So I think it's something, I'm not going to name parties. Maybe I will later. I don't know, it depends. No, just name uh, and shame, man. Uh, it's something that various parties have made use of, in my opinion. And I think, in my personal opinion, it's a ploy and a distraction because of a lack of planning, uh, ideas, and a lack of solutions, right? These parties don't have any new ideas. There's no fresh blood coming in. And the only way to stay re relevant is to polarize race. You know, it's a it's a lame excuse. You know, I mean, yes, we are still uh, the mass, the majority of people are still um, underprivileged and so forth, and are struggling just to get food on the table every day, and 
I don't have access to housing and so forth and so forth. But I mean, the if you look at, we're almost 20, 20, more than 20 years out of uh, um, apartheid, and we still continue to use it. There's no step forward. There's no solution. When will we continue to use race as an escape and agenda? When will we move past it and empower ourselves in a sense, you know? And that will only happen if everybody buys in, if the parties, political parties buy in and so forth, you know? I see, we continue to see this polarization of race. And yes, land grabs is, it's a fucking tricky situation because you don't know who you're going to piss off. And there's no easy way to say it because, you know, um, but I think that we need to, I feel like the NC was, has always been, they, they were voted in as a liberation movement and to unify the nation. I mm. feel like with the continued uh, polarization by the DA, the v- EFF, and the various shit that is happening in South Africa from farm murders and so forth, uh, murders, the corruption, all of that shit, right? This is a chance for the NC to unify the people, to make changes, radical changes, to fix this and unify the whole nation. You know, we were all slightly unified when the Springboks won the World Cup, right? But we're trying to get that, you know, that feeling that we got after we won. Let's have that feeling all year round. And we can only do that if our political parties step up and offer solutions instead of um, these issues, you know. I mean, we need more good news. And I know, Quenzo, you you the light of this podcast. You're always bringing in the good news and saying we should do this. And we should, this shouldn't be a negative podcast, right? And you always end off with saying that um, if you don't bring solutions, then you are the problem. You are worsening the problem. So I feel like the the polarization of race it's a, it's it's an uneducated um tactic you know it's a ploy why why don't we offer solutions instead you know instead of saying he's uh you know if a ra- if somebody's racist you call him a racist motherfucker right but i mean the moment if, if we're having a debate and for example if there was an indian person here and you just get upset with him it's not because you're racist it's just because he's offering opinion. And whether whether your skin color is blue, white, purple, it shouldn't really matter. If you're an asshole, you're an asshole. But, I mean, if you criticize somebody and he's giving you a justified uh, criticism, then you can't just call him a racist, you know. We should all be able to call each other assholes and offer solutions as assholes, you know. I don't know if that makes sense, but, yeah. That's the Sipo Quenzo, the floor is yours, you know. Can I just jump in quickly on this one? I just want to... <laughs> the issue of racism is, is quite something in this country. I just want to... I don't know if, if it's funny or not. Sometimes it looks sad. But then I don't know, I'm, sure, I'm sure if you guys remember the bike scandal in the Eastern Cape, where they bought all those bikes that are meant for West Africa and said they're going to be used to transport people from rural areas to hospitals for COVID-19. Then it turns out that the bikes were not compatible for the area. They weren't built for the area. So they asked the the ladies in charge of health in the province, what happened here? What went wrong? And she blamed apartheid and racism. Asisipo, engage us, sir, please. I want to make a submission to you guys. That at some uh-huh. you must find a, find a day and... and where we will engage on, on race extensively. Sure thing. Uh, um, 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 extensively, extensively. Yeah. And, and be able to explain why race is used in a particular way. Yeah. Uh, I really want us, to, I don't think 
today would be able to do justice to that. But I think it's a topic True. on its own that would require us to, to really sit and, and, and understand why the race cards. Um, and really, um, we, we, we really need to look at things pos positively. What solutions are we bringing, right? Uh, what identify problems. We have identified problems. There's no accountability. Um, there's no look at the saga of the bikes in the Eastern States. Um, <laughs> there's quite a number of there's quite a number of scandals that came from the office the office of that embassy. Yeah. Recently now she was found she found out that she, she went and enrolled for honors with no junior degree. I don't know where do you see that? <laughs> now now there's, there's, a, there's a lack of, we've seen it with, 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 with the Zondo Commission, people leading uh, state-owned enterprises, but they're not competent. We have key, key offices that are led by people that are not competent. And you, if you have a person that is not competent to, look, I'm a, I'm a social scientist. I can't go tomorrow and be Minister of Finance. If mm. I want to do justice in that office, yeah, that's 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 just an honest one. <laughs> if really <laughs> I want to do justice, I, I really can't wake up tomorrow and say, look, and 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 and, and I must be minister of finance. You understand? You mm. must be able to get competent comrades, uh, young people with energy, innovative ideas. You know, you raise something, chase that. These people don't have ideas anymore. No, man. The ANC, for example, you understand? ANC, they have more innovative ideas in the paper. I can give you the... I was recently looking at their conference resolutions. Um, you look at the conference resolutions, they respond to all challenges that we have as a country, but there's just no implementation. Mm. And... and when there's no implementation, there's no one that holds anyone accountable. People are just holding javelin that um, <laughs> I'm, 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 a, I'm a minister. Quenzo must be a DG so that the signing is off my force. Um, I account to my friends who protect this thing. We really need to have young people in a chatting competent and, 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 and that are leading in key and strategic areas. So there needs to be a reform. Yeah. Yes, there really needs to be a reform. Chase? You know, I, I like what you said, how you need to be competent uh, in your thing. And I mean, our writing joke, I don't know if you've heard a couple of our podcasts, is we always talk about the minister who was an athlete and then he became a taxi driver <laughs> and now he's minister of police. You know, we, we talk about that minister. I, um, it's crazy. And, you know, there's, for example, I always bring up the example of the Canadian ministry, right? the Canadian government. So the Minister of Defence is a veteran. The Minister of Police is a policeman. The Minister of Agriculture is a farmer. The Minister of uh, Finance is an entrepreneur and businessman and so forth. Everybody, the ministry that you hold, you are in that profession. And mm. I mean, I feel like that that's a, something that we need to realize, right? You need to be qualified to get into the power and the position that you have. I mean, where have you heard, like you said, where have you heard of a person trying to apply for the honors if they haven't done the undergrad, you know, it, it, it baffles me. And I think that's the problem, right? And it's them, if you aren't qualified to 
be in that position, then you're not going to read. And I mean, you can go back. I think we've been saying it since episode one of this podcast. Read, read, read. The lack of reading in government is the, the major downfall of the ANC. And not even the ANC, the DA and the EFFFNF. We always talk about the white paper and how the, there was a white paper released in 2015 highlighting the, the issues with uh, Sandoff and so forth, right? And how the government could fix that. And in that ministerial uh, party and committee, only one party had read the white paper. And we had this guy come in last year. Um, fuck, Quinza, what was his name? Um, and he presented it's the white paper... Way. Um, he presented the white paper, paper to Parliament last year, and he said that only one person had read his entire report. And that lack of reading and understanding, which you can only get if you've studied and been in that field, if, P, if the Minister of Defence had actually gone to that meeting and read the portfolio, then we wouldn't see the situation that we are in now with our standoff and our um, lack of border security and so forth and so forth. As a, a lack of reading and um, understanding that's helped us and put us in the situation that we are in. Yeah, Pastor Sip, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, so, so your mic's, uh, mic isn't on. Just check your mic, oh, please. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, I thought we were going to be done by this time. I have a, a commitment at half past seven as well. Conversation of this nature. Now uh, we're wrapping up now. Yeah, but I think um, we really need to have young, competent um, leaders. Um, of course, academic scholars chase the quenzos of this world. Yeah. Many of them. We don't need to hear them criticizing from far, from the ivory towers. We really need young people that are qualified to come and say, look, when we say this is implementation, this is what we mean. When we mm. say this is accountability, this is what we mean. So we really need to, all of us to come on board and and and, and not analyze and give and be 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 be, be, be far. You know, only not try to be pragmatic. You understand? Contribute from various corners and develop mm. a young intelligentsia that will respond to the challenges that we are facing currently. And of course, that will require us to to fight for our space within mm-hmm. the government, within the liberation movements, within the society, so yeah. that we're able to make our voice here. And our future, people that will be alive in the next 20 years is not Jacob Zuma. Mm. I'm, not saying, I'm not saying he's going to die soon, but his age. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so really, we really need to take our country and our future seriously. It's on our hands. So that's my last submission. But look, we we really have um, to contribute. We have young people that are competent, but we really need to find and find space and contribute positively. Excellent, uh, uh, Asa Before you leave us, I just want to ask you to if you can just give us a summary of your thesis and your work that you're doing. And then also, could you perhaps give us, uh, for example, any uh, listener that wants to engage with you um, or um, just hear how your work's going? So if you have a Facebook or something that you keep people up to date. So could you just give us a summary of your thesis, uh, your work that you're doing? And, you know, just a, 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 yes, 
three minutes just to highlight any issues that you'd like to. Um, and yeah, the space is yours, man. The floor is yours, my friend. Um, I'm well, I'm Charles. I'm, I've, I've said I'm very passionate about liberation movements. Um, I'm, I'm, my current research project is looking at as a research thesis. I'm looking at the liberation movements post independence and and I'm, I'm having a case study. I'm doing a comparative analysis. I'm looking at Zimbabwe, the son of PF, and, and, and South Africa. So I'm, I'm really trying to dig and find out what are these problems that perhaps come with, with solutions to those problems. And, and that's, that's, that's my, 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 my main interest now. Uh, and I'm really digging deep and trying to understand the, 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 the the institutions, how the, these liberation movements as institutions um, have, have, have contributed to what we have today. And the liberation movements as institutions pre-independence, how is those institutions um, 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 having influence in the current institutions in the post-independence? So their inability to transform from liberation movements with a top-down approach of giving instruction to a modern governing party that then begins to take a mandate from the grassroots level and say, this is what our people are saying, and this is what we should do. So I'm, 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 I'm my research is around that. Um, a person that wants to engage me, I'm free to be engaged. Um, I'm on Facebook. Uh, my name is Asisi Prosolani. Um, um, that's, I think that's one aspect that I'm very much active on. Um, and, 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 and if one if you want to engage me, you can just inbox me or write on my wall, and we can continue with conversation. Whether it's through WhatsApp, whether it's through phone calls, whether it's through coffee, um, um, you you guys know I'm always prepared and ready to engage about my work. So anyone that wants to engage me, I'm open, and I'm still hoping that I will still be invited to come yes. to this process and and, and have further engagements on different different things. And lastly, thank you guys for inviting me to come here as a guest. It was really awesome and wonderful to be part of this yeah. um, session. And I've learned, a pro I've learned a lot. I knew I was going to get quite a number of chaps and I received them. Hopefully next time it will be more of a... Yeah, yeah. A, 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 thanks, thanks, guys. No, no, Hundred percent. I I definitely think that the time is easy. I can't believe we've been talking for two hours thirteen minutes. Um, it, it just time flies, you know, when you have good conversation and you're engaging. You know, I think that's what I miss about sitting around in the department from last year. So I think we will definitely invite you all on in the future. Uh, it was just fun, you know. Um, I don't yeah, know, Quinzo. Do you have any last thoughts there? Yeah, man. Yeah, thanks for the time. Best of best of luck with your research and your exams if you're still writing. And yeah, man, just catch catch you around, catch in the future. Try not to die. You know, it's it's a hectic world. There's, there's COVID. There's new swine flu. Everything is happening. So yeah, man, stay safe and yeah, catch you catch in the future, man. And thanks Thank for the time you. again. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, everybody, you guys can catch us uh, on uh, Instagram. Uh, we're on Twitter. We are basically everywhere. Email. You know? Email, questioningcommission at gmail.com. Yeah. Quinza, uh, yeah. I don't know about you, but that was an interesting conversation, man. Yeah, man, it was good. It was quite something. It was, wow. It, 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 to be honest, I, I was expecting, I don't know, a bit of, of like a heated debate. 
But I liked it. It was actually a civil conversation where I actually got to engage and listen to the words being said and not allow emotions to govern us. And I honestly, man, I'm done for another invitation. You know, I, I, I think anyone who's listening right now would probably agree. But yeah, you know, I think it it was, I, I think we, we it sort of what we expected, to be honest. But then it, it was a good surprise, a good yeah. kind of pushback. And I like that, as I said, it was a civil conversation where we engaged, we went back and forth, no talking of each other, no heated heated emotions and stuff like that. It was a solid conversation. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I think the, these are the type of conversations that we try to have on the Questioning Commission, where we question everything. And, you know, I think you and I both came onto this podcast with perceptions that we debate and there, there would be some heated arguments. And surprisingly, yeah. it was very civil and you know yeah that, that's the beauty of it you know yeah. uh, we may not agree on certain things but we uh we are like you said intellectuals first and then whatever happens after that happens after that you know it's yeah <laughs> it's personal yeah. politics exactly exactly so i think on that note uh in us with some wise words my brother ah oh, some wise words some wise words all that pressure on this one man i i <laughs> look <laughs> Today the conversation was good, and today I probably I I don't have a quote, but I I I think I have an observation, and I think the observation is most of the problems we face we can overcome through discussion, and I think it's through civil conversations whereby you look not at what you think you have or what you wish you had. But then you look at what you actually have and you work with what you have because it makes no sense creating and planning for something you don't have. It's like planning a wedding without a girlfriend. It makes no sense. You have to have a girlfriend first before you can plan your wedding. So I think this applies generally across the board. When trying to resolve problems, there's still room for conversation. But then as as we all pointed out that that's Conversation is just one part of the equation. You also have to act on those conversations, those policies, those white papers and whatnot. So the observation here, to put it in a nutshell, is there's a relationship between words and action, and the two must coincide in order for our dreams to become reality. And that's me for the week. Wow. Okay. I got a quote first. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to beat that, but I was like... uh, our man Thomason, Je- Thomas Jefferson said, I never consider a difference of opinion in politics, in religion, in philosophy as a cause for withdrawing from a friend. Let's Beautiful. all try to be friends. Beautiful. Beautiful. Man, that's us for the week. Again, Instagram, Twitter, email. Catch us everywhere. Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Pirate Radio, Spotify, your grandma's radio. Check your phone, probably there as well on your WhatsApp. Check it out, check it out, check it out, check it out, check us out, check us out, check us out. All right, adios. Muchachos.